The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Good morning. morning. Welcome again to the Tabernacle. My name is John and I'm one of the pastors here. And before we get started today, we always get excited uh, when people choose to identify with our church and to kind of fill out the paperwork, jump through the hoops and say, hey, I want to be a member of that place and and, uh, participate. And so today we welcome Cody Wingo, 19 years old, as our newest member of our church. So let's welcome Cody. That's pretty cool. And... uh, and if you're not a member yet, well, then you're not a member yet. And uh, if you'd like to become one, ask somebody, and we'll figure out how to do that. Uh, today, you'll notice I brought my red coffee cup. Yay. Unless you've been living under a rock, let me fill you in, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, it's full of delicious coffee, and coffee is one of the proofs for the existence of God and that He loves us. Um, <laughs> But uh, about, I think it was about two weeks ago, some brothers and sisters in Christ, probably well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know who they are, if it's a group, if it's an individual, but they made a lot of ripples in the news and especially on social media because they were outraged and offended. You, you notice how in 2015, we're just a, such a bored country. We're so bored and in everyone else's business that we get outraged about anything and everything. And then when we, it's double trouble because we get outraged. And then we do the manly or womanly thing to do. We go right to Facebook. You know what I mean? Or right to Twitter or wherever. But this group of people, they got really outraged because Starbucks, which by the way is a multinational company spreading the love of God. <laughs> if you love coffee, that is. Um, This multinational company, multi-billion dollar company that's in nations all over the world. Everywhere I've traveled, I've seen a a Starbucks, you know. I saw one in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which is a total Muslim country. Uh, I've seen one in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Saw one in Paris, France. I've seen one all over the place. But the problem is, is that it's Christmas and Jesus is the reason for the season. And how dare you make a red cup to commemorate the holidays? There is nothing on here that says Merry Christmas. And we as Christians should be so outraged that we should stop buying Starbucks coffee and go buy Dunkin' Donuts coffee, which doesn't say anything about Merry Christmas either. And there was this big ripple, and there was this big, it it was one of these deals, and I I found myself saying, really, is this God's desire? are, Are these the causes that we should be about? 
right? And so then I got my own little bit of outrage. I'm outraged at the Christians who are being outraged, right? And so I did the manly thing to do and I went right to social media. And so I just kind of put this out there. You know, there's a lot of people that you know, put a Bible verse or put little thoughts for the day out there. And, and uh, so I just felt like it was important to, to, to put this out there. Christians, calm down. It's not Starbucks' job to share the love of Jesus. It's yours. Amen. Hey, okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Well, I feel like I touched a nerve. Because it, it, was, it was crazy. I've put a lot of stuff out there before and you can see how many people reply or how it's shared and how many people that the ripple has reached. That uh, tweet reached 8,000 people in 24 hours. So I, so I kind of felt like, yeah, there's more people that, that, that aren't buying into the fact that, that this is God's desire. See, this is what we do is we get caught up with what's on the exterior real quick, don't we? We get so caught up with our performance and how we look and how other people look and making sure that everybody follows the same standard that we do. And, and, and for many of us, myself included, even in that text, do you see that? It's like, no, don't, don't be that kind of Christian. Be super cool Christian like me in the tabernacle. Today we're looking at God's desire, God's true desire for us. We're in Romans chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. And by the way, if you have a device and you want to dial it up there, that's okay too. We've actually had people come to our church and they're like, everyone's on their tablets and their devices. Calm down, Christians. That's where a lot of people read their Bibles in this dark place. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he's pointing out how so many people have forgotten about God and have chosen to worship created things rather than the Creator. And, and we've talked in the last few weeks about when good things become God things, that's a bad thing. And we're not supposed to worship or idolize creation. We're supposed to only worship and serve the Creator. But then in chapter 2, Paul does something really uncomfortable. Is he turns his attention inside the family of God, inside the church, into basically religious people and people that are born and raised in a Christian home or by God's grace have come into a relationship with God. And we start looking at how God doesn't have a whole lot of time for self-righteousness either. And the same wrath and condemnation and anger at the sin of people that worship creation could also be aimed at those of us that choose to be self-righteous in our behavior, thinking that we're so special. And he continues that theme in verse 17. And he starts out by saying, you who call yourself Jews. Now, before we even get into it, I want to explain something to you. That primarily at this time, most of the Christians were Jewish people. God chose to reveal himself first to Jewish people, right? The sons and daughters of Abraham. And so for us, if, if, if you call yourself a Christian, then you can insert your name there. Not because Christians have replaced the Jews. Don't think of, that's a different sermon. Because we haven't. But the church people of that day, that's who we are in this day. He says, you who call yourselves Jews, Christians, tabernacle, are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. 
You think you can extract the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Can you kind of sense the sarcasm there? Can you sense that? He's saying, oh, you've got the Bible. You've read the Bible. You've gone to a study. You go to church. You have multiple translations. You know all of God's truth, right? You've got your life figured out. You've applied it to your marriage. That's why your marriage is so great. You've applied it to your kids. You can teach other people. You're a guide, aren't you? This is coming a little too close to home. Verse 21, he goes, Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Whoops. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you... Dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. You know what he's saying right there? Are you 100% consistent? Oh, you're a Christian? You have a personal relationship with God? You're boasting about that special relationship? You've got it all figured out? Have you done the very same things that you condemn? I mean, if we believe the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preached... That if you've lusted in your heart, it's just like committing adultery. You've taken a paper clip, you're a thief. You've dishonored your parents, you've broken the fifth commandment. You've let a hobby kind of become too much of a good thing and it's almost become, well, you're an idolater. You've hated in your heart, well, guess what? You're a murderer, even someone who deserved your hatred. And he's sitting here telling us, That this brings dishonor to God. Furthermore, he says, this blasphemes God's name among the Gentiles. People that don't call themselves Christians, people that are not in church, people that are far away from God, he's saying, you're the reason they don't want to become Christians. You know, that's the biggest reason people don't want to come to church when we invite them. They don't want to become a Christian when we say, look, look at the truth of God. It's not Jesus they have a problem with. It's me. It's you. It's us. Because they see our lives and they see that they're not consistent. That's called hypocrisy. He goes on in verse 25 to talk about circumcision. Remember, circumcision was the sign that you were a Jewish person. Jewish is not a race. Abraham and his family, they were ordered to circumcise themselves. All the men were circumcised. And this was a sign that they were a set-apart people, the people of God. And so he says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. You know what he's saying right here is, you know, to be a follower of God, we have all of our rituals, don't we? For the Jews, it was circumcision and other rituals, but we have rituals too. We're participating in a ritual right now, coming to church on a, on a weekend, Right? This is our ritual. We have other rituals. We take communion. We get baptized. Those are rituals. Those are signs. For some of us, we attend a Bible study or a tab group or we go to youth group or we go to, you know, kids church or we serve. We have all of these rituals. 
And the problem is, is sometimes we begin to not only rely on God's law, but we begin to rely on our ritual. And this is a problem. Paul's saying, what good is it if you obey the law and you follow all the rituals? What good is it if the outside of your cup says, Merry Christmas, if there's nothing good inside of it? If you don't obey God's law yourself, all those are are religious activities. In fact, when people who don't do all those rituals follow God's law, he says on that day they will condemn us. Then he sums it up in verse 28. For you are not a true Jew. You're not a true Christian. Just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. See, I think today, here's the question for us. It's a very simple question, and it's for every single one of us. It's one of the most important questions that we've approached in our study of Romans. And this is for every man, woman, student, and child who's hearing this message. Are you living your life from the outside out, or are you living your life from the inside out? That's the question. Are you living your life from the outside out, or from the inside out? Let's look at the outside out first. The outside out life is all based on my performance. It's all based on the letter of the law, knowing the law, living the law, making sure that my house follows the law, and that your house and so forth and so on. Now don't get me wrong. God's law is perfect. God's law shows us how we should live in honoring God. But if I rely on the law, if I rely on the outside... I'm going about things externally instead of internally, and it's false. This is what I'm trying to tell you. There's a lot of people that live really, really good lives that will be in hell. The greatest lie that's been perpetuated on the human race since Eden up to now is that there's such a thing as a good person. And we hear this all the time, especially at funerals. Oh, he was such a good guy. She was such a great lady. That was such a good person. They're in a better place. And and we comfort ourselves with these. But but really the question is, okay, the outside looked good, but what about what was in there? See, outside out is consumed with the law and is consumed with the ritual. And it becomes this comparison game. Did you put Merry Christmas on your exterior? Because, you know, we've got a full manger scene and three live magi in our front lawn for three straight weeks. I'm, my last name's Griswold, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Outside out is, starts with the performance. That's where it starts. Thinking that if I follow enough of these good things, God certainly has to accept me. I got news for you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to accept you. Scripture says that your righteousness, your good works, is like filthy rags compared to God and His righteousness. 
You can't clean yourself up. You can't do enough good things. You can't give enough money. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't not lie enough and not lust enough and not cheat enough. and not Because if you've broken part of the law, you've broken all of it. And he says that what this does is this dishonors God when we start from the outside and try to work our way inward. It dishonors God. It blasphemes God among people who are not Christians. And it says one day we will be condemned for that. It leads to slavery and death is what it does. You see, if you're going to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. If you're going to live by the letter of God's law and how good you keep it, and how good you make sure other people see you keep it, and how you make sure that everybody in our church keeps it, you're going to die by that law. Because none of us are 100% consistent that way. And it leads to slavery. You're constantly under the letter of the law, thinking if I follow it, and you follow it, and they follow it. And it's a big lie. Because if we really examined ourselves next to Jesus, we'd realize that We're wicked. There is no good person. There's only wicked people and there's Jesus. And the only way I can be saved is to hide behind Jesus. And this slavery leads to my death. It only leads to death. I heard a story of a a couple, a man and a woman, who were making a late night uh, restaurant run. I believe it's a true story. And they were going through uh, the drive-thru and they were ordering some chicken at this particular restaurant. And so uh, they ordered a bag of chicken. I didn't know chicken come in bags, but apparently they do. And they waited there for quite some time. And then they gave their money. They got the bag of chicken and they drove off and they opened the bag. And it, it was not full of chicken. It was full of cash. It was full of money. So basically the till, all the money uh, from the cash register, uh, they typically took it to the night deposit in a chicken bag. Uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason. And the wrong bag was handed out the window. And so now they've got thousands of dollars and they're several miles away from the restaurant. Presented with this ethical question, the man turns around, drives back to the restaurant, taps on the door. People inside are frantic. They open the door and says, you gave me the money instead of the chicken. Oh my goodness, thank you, sir. I cannot believe we did that. What a horrible mistake. You're amazing. And, and at that moment, he did reveal, well, you know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, and it's a Christian man too. And you did the right thing and everybody should do the right thing. You know what? We need, I mean, we'd have lost our jobs because of the owner. And so they get on the phone and they're calling the news. They're like, newspaper, get down here. We need to write a story. And he goes, please, no news. Just give us our chicken. We're ready to go. And they're like, no, 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 the newspaper. I got a friend, he's a reporter, we're going to put it on the front page. It's a great example, everyone. It'd be great advertisement for your church. He's like, seriously, I don't want to wait. And they're like, he'll, he'll be here in two minutes. Just click a pick, we'll do the rest. And then finally, there was this awkward moment where he's insisting on leaving and they're holding on to the man. And finally, the man said, you don't understand. I can't have my picture in the paper. This woman is not my wife. <laughs> now we laugh. Because I think we identify. You see, we follow what we want to follow, and what we don't want to follow, we just set aside, don't we? We follow our pet ones, and we shame other people that don't, and then we ignore the part of the law. Do you know if you were to live that perfect life, the only way that you could fulfill everything in the law and every ritual and do it perfectly from cradle to the grave is if your name is Jesus. And no amount of choosing what you're going to follow and let other people see is going to change anything here. 
And if you live this outside-out existence, God's love really never penetrates to your heart. You can't bring about that life change that way. Transformation doesn't happen that way. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, there's a long tirade against religious people and Pharisees. And I've said it before, listen carefully. Religious people, church people, we're the hardest nuts to crack. We are the hardest nuts to crack because we think, listen to me, please, I'm begging you right now. We think because we're here and we've been here for X amount of time or so much amount of time and followed so many rituals, but I got baptized, I did this, I did that, and out of fear or something false, we think that we're good. And Jesus warns over and over and over, you think because you've washed the outside of the cup and dish that the inside is clean, I tell you that the inside is filthy, you Pharisees, you blind guides. But if you will clean the inside of the cup, you will find that the outside is clean also. Jesus is saying, do not live from the outside out. You can only live from the inside out. It's got to start in here. It's got to be a heart change. And you know what? Your effort can't produce that. My effort cannot produce that. And my fear is that we have sons and daughters, we have men and women that have grown up from sons and daughters to be people whose hearts have never really changed. That they're just outside out performers. And they're going to be shocked one day standing before God. Because they've been performing really well, living that outside out life, and nothing's really happened from the inside out. He says that this is produced by the Spirit. It's produced by the Spirit. This is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. It's got to happen in here. It's got to happen in here. You know, and it brings freedom. It brings life. It results in the praise of God. This is what God praises. And this is the freedom and the life that can come from a real heart change. It's very similar to a romance. You know, I mean, I mean, I always crack up when you see these books. You know, if you if you you know if you wanna if you wanna bring some uh, 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 spark back into your marriage, you know, if you wanna love your wife so that she's more responsive to you and 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 respects you more and whatever it is, whatever performance stupid men are trying to get out of their wives, right? And then there's this list because men love lists. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And it's like. Here's an idea. Spend more time with your children. You mean my offspring? The fruit of our union? Yes, spend more time with your children. It just warms her heart to see you, you know, taking the night shift when, you know, the baby's colicky or, or, or here's an idea. Take out the trash, you know, help out around the house. Maybe do the dishes every once in a while. Maybe tell her she's pretty. You know what I mean? And it's all these lists. And I start looking at this thing. And it's like, oh, you mean if I do all these things, she'll behave the way I want her to behave? And then all of a sudden, this is garbage. Because if I love my wife from the inside out, I should do all that stuff anyways. Right? Hate to break it to you guys. If you've got to tell someone how to love your wife from your heart, man, you've got a problem. And, and vice versa. It's not just men. It's, it's women too. And it's just, I mean, how much more with God? I don't love Him from all this stuff. I said, Merry Christmas, dear. Did you bring me coffee? <laughs> this is what brings 
the praise of God. This is what results in real freedom because you're living from an honest place. Now, I'm not saying, don't not hear that. I'm not saying that the law is not important. And I'm not even saying that I don't need to be guided. I do. But I love God's law and I want to fulfill God's law. We were talking about this at Fight Club because we've been studying the Ten Commandments the last couple of weeks. And, and I caution the guys, guys, we've got to realize that every one of the commands is built in love. The first four commands is how, I'm, how I can love God by having no other gods, not making an idol, not profaning his name, and not uh, violating the Sabbath day. And I want to do those things because I love God. And the, the last six have to do with loving my neighbor. God loved me so much, I want to love you that way. So how about we don't steal? How about we not take what's not ours sexually from someone else? How about we not lie to each other? It's all built in love. And you can try your best to follow that from the exterior, but you're going to struggle unless it's produced by a heart change. And so, what I'm saying is, I believe God's desire is that we love Him from the inside out. Now, there's different groups of people here today. Maybe you're sitting here today going, John, I get that. I'm a Christian. I believe my heart was changed. Yeah. If you're not a Christian, that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that God would change your heart. And that you would see his love for you. That the only person that did this perfectly was Jesus. So he's the only one that has any right to condemn anyone else. He's the only one that can compare himself to anyone else. And he's the only one that has the power to forgive. Because he's the only one that's perfect and lived a perfect life. But I want to go deeper. Because I believe that some of us as Christians, we need to continue to have that heart change. And I want to be first in line. I want to be first in line. God has convicted me of my outside-out behavior in a big way. Last weekend, I was in Toronto, Canada, uh, serving at a Promise Keepers event. And there were a couple thousand guys there from all over the place, and it was a big men's ministry deal. And, and I really enjoyed meeting some of the other speakers. And this one speaker, he's younger than me. He hasn't been in his ministry as long as I am. And he got up to speak, and oh, I hate that guy. Because God just used him to just put a dagger right into my heart. He started talking about how we need to expand the boundaries of love because God loved us so much that He gave His only Son that would die for us, that whoever would believe in that Son could have eternal life, even wicked sinners like me. And He says, God, I want to love you and I want to love others. And God, show me people that I don't love enough. And so he started sharing his testimony and I'm listening and I didn't like his testimony because where he went to is he realized that he doesn't love abortion doctors. And I realized, whoa, too far, man. Because I don't love abortion doctors either. And then he started sharing his testimony about living in Florida and looking up an abortion doctor, one that had been in the news and had been persecuted by Christians and having vandalism and, and picketers and, and just a whole lot of hateful stuff. And, and look, I hate the sin of abortion. Don't get me wrong. But this guy went too far. He made an appointment. And he went to the man's office at that dingy, beat-up place. And then he was shocked because he was kind of hoping that it would just be a great sermon example. He was shocked that the guy actually invited him in and he sat down across from this guy and this guy's a Muslim, Iranian, immigrant, abortion doctor saying, what do you want with me? And he's shaking and he's like, I'm here to just tell you that I love you and that I don't get to condemn you and I disagree with you and I'm sorry for all the stuff that people probably even from my church have done to you. 
And I'm sitting there going, bro, Jamie, too far. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. I know, too far. But here's the problem. Is Jesus told us we're supposed to love everyone. And then also that weekend, you know, I'm watching the news. I'm watching what's going down on CNN. I'm watching how these fanatical Muslim jihadists, these terrorists are shooting up Paris. Suicide bombers, innocent men, women, and children are being blown up, executed one at a time. And that's near and dear to my heart. But, you know, I had a once-in-a-lifetime chance to be there for just, for, just for 24 hours with one of my daughters this past summer, and we fell in love with the place. We found out the stereotypes that Americans have of that place aren't even true. They were very friendly. They were very welcoming, right? And now I find that there are terrorists that are on those very same streets killing people. And I'm sitting in my hotel room later that night, convicted. And so I'm confessing my hypocrisy, church. I'll go first, okay? I hate terrorists. I have hatred in my heart. If I was young enough, I'd sign up and I'd go fight ISIS if they'd take me. I'd put a bullet in them in a minute. That's my hatred because I hate injustice. And that is sin. That's sin. I need a new heart. Now don't get me wrong. Some, some, there's always people that misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the politics. I'm not saying we can't defend ourselves. I'm not saying if something goes bump in the night, you can't get a gun out. I'm not saying that we're not going to send soldiers and we shouldn't bomb and we shouldn't fight them. I'm not saying that. You're not hearing me. What I'm saying is the hatred in my heart is hypocrisy. Jesus said that we're to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, including terrorists that behead Christians on a beach, mock them, and then make a video and put it out there for the world to see. He says we're supposed to love them and we're supposed to pray for them. You know why? It's because I used to be an enemy of God too. And so did you. And so then I found myself, man, I got to put Mr. Social Media Guy. I, I'm, I'm... Paul was a terrorist before meeting Jesus. And this was so hard. Hashtag. Pray for ISIS. Pray for ISIS. You know why? Because if I've really been changed from the inside out, if I'm going to live from a new heart and a new place, then I have to pray for ISIS. How do you pray for ISIS? How do you pray for terrorists? Well, I'm not praying for them to be successful. I'm not, I'm not praying with blessing upon their family. But I'm not praying that they would die either. I'm praying. You know the number one way that Muslims are coming to Christ is they have dreams and visions because most missionaries that go there die. Most Christians are beheaded. So how are they going to hear the saving message that there's a God that loves them? They have dreams and visions. And do you know that more Muslims are coming to Christ at this point in history than in any other period of time in history? And so now I'm sitting here going, okay, God, first, you've got to change my heart. Because I hate these people. And secondly, I'm going to pray for them right now. I'm going to pray that you'll give them dreams and visions of Jesus. It's the only thing I know to do. Because it's hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. 
Paul was a terrorist before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He killed Christians, he persecuted them, and had them in jail, stoned Stephen to death. He wrote the letter we're learning from. Pray for ISIS? You betcha. Pray for Paris? Yeah. Pray for Nigeria? Yeah. Pray for Liberia? Yeah. For Uganda? Yeah. For Mali? Yeah. The only way we can do this, guys, is we got to have a heart change. And only Christ can do it. You can't fake it. You can't do it from the outside in. And I know even some of you right now, I've, in all the other services, people are coming up saying, you're pushing me. I know, I'm getting, getting pushed too. And if I'm going to get pushed, you're going to get pushed. <laughs> and I don't know what God's telling you because it, maybe it's not about love. Maybe, maybe there's a sin that you just haven't been able to get rid of. And when we start talking hypocrisy, you just put it in a part of your mind and hopefully they don't talk about that one. And you've tried your best. You've tried by your effort. You've tried by... I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. God, help me not to do it anymore. And you're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on the sin. We're focusing on the exterior. The prophet Ezekiel writes in in chapter 36. Here's a promise. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God will give you a new heart. You've got to ask him. You've got to receive that new heart. Jesus explained in John chapter 3 that unless one is born of water and spirit, reborn of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying? Stop worrying so much about the outside first. Let's get the inside right. And only the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ can do that. That's the only way it's going to happen. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the rituals perfectly. Jesus climbed up on a cross that you and I nailed Him to. And then He forgave us for it as He took His last breath. And then He died. And then He rose again so only He gets to condemn. Only He gets to judge. You and I get to respond to His love by loving Him and loving others. I need a new heart. I need a God that will continue to give me a new heart. Because God's desire is that we would love Him from the inside out. To love Him from the inside out. That's the only way your life's going to change. That's the only way you're going to be delivered of that sin. That's the only way you can honestly pray for an abortion doctor. Or honestly pray for your ex. Or the only way you can honestly pray for ISIS. And love them. Is if God does the changing. You know, 1 John, all it does in there is tell us that if you love God, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. I need to be changed. Would you bow your heads with me? This is one of those messages where I I can't give you three steps to a changed heart. I can't do it. It's above my pay grade. Only the Holy Spirit can change you. Now I know I can ask Him and you can ask Him. But you got to desire it. You got to want it. 
You've got to want an inside-out change, an inside-out life. The author of Hebrews says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, I know one thing. If you're focused on your sin, if you're focused on the exterior, you can't focus on Jesus. But if you focus on Jesus, you'll be changed from the inside out. If your gaze is Godward, everything else seems to kind of take care of itself. That's all I can give you today. Other than that, just go and wrestle with it like I am. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to be a people that love you from the inside out. God, I pray if there's any person here that doesn't know you and desires a new heart, that God, just like Ezekiel promised, that you would give it to them if they would ask. God, for those of us that are religious and nuts that are so hard to crack, God, forgive us for worrying about what's on the outside of the cup. And God, would you turn us on the inside to something delicious, something that brings you honor and praise. Would you replace our stony hearts with hearts of love? And forgive me for my hatred. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.